Hello, and welcome to Career Talk with OG, where we empower you so opportunities come to you. Through our series of podcasts, we will give you relevant, practical, actionable career tips and strategies. We believe that through the act of storytelling, we can deliver relatable and authentic talks that allow listeners to gain real-world insight into the career journeys of industry professionals. With our very own Sasson, we bring to you Career Talk with OG. Hello, everyone. Happy Monday. Happy start to the week, the last week of the month. Yes, I know. Next week is going to be March. By the way, March is my birthday month, okay? So don't forget that. But uh, anyways, now welcome, everyone, to uh, today to Career Talk with OG. I have a very good friend of mine, Lot Nguyen. Uh, he and I met through another mutual friend, Philip Tran, stud over there. But um, you know, before we get into today's talk, I do uh, want to share with you. And then, Helica, do you have that? Yes, there we go. Helica is always on top of things. So, this coming Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific time, 3 p.m. East Coast time, uh, my friend Rocio Perez and I are going to be doing a free webinar. Um, the title of it is How to Defeat Imposter Syndrome and Command Executive Presence. We hear a lot about imposter syndrome. Now we're gonna combine how to kick it in the rear end and then how to be able to command that executive presence. So uh, register for it uh, on Eventbrite. <clears throat> so um, anyways, Locke, I wanna thank you, my friend, first of all, for your friendship. Secondly, thank you for reaching out and um, having the guts, the courage to stand up and share from your heart about what is going on in our country today as it relates to the violence, the racism against uh, our uh, Asian uh, American brothers uh, and sisters, which uh, I believe, and many of us believe, it is completely zero tolerance for this. So thank you, my friend, for uh, for being here today. Yeah, absolutely, I appreciate the the platform that you're giving me and, you know, giving us. And I just really appreciate the opportunity to share it because, you know, the course of time, I, you know, I have to say that I've, I've had the guts to, to write about this, um, but not necessarily to, to really speak to it. And so, you know, it's very much appreciated. Yeah, no, of course. So look, um, let's, uh, let's kind of, I always like to, to start and set the stage with giving, uh, are the viewers and and ultimately this is going to go on to the podcast as well as and Helica mentioned before we went live. Um, tell everyone a little bit about your kind of your your story, your upbringing, and take us you know to the present in terms of your what you do for for uh, career wise. Yeah. So hey, listen. So you know, I, I was a kid born <coughs> in Vietnam, a uh, kid that was raised in the states, and someone who after the events of 9-11 went and um, became an air force officer and served the country that i believed gave me the life that i live today you know it ended up that i spent almost nine years as an air force officer you know traveling the states living in the south living in europe um, just meeting all kinds of folks from all different backgrounds all different ethnicities and so, you know, that kid who became an adult, 
has got this worldly view of of life and of society and of culture, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, for the last six, seven, eight years, I've been in the the startup world, and it's been great. But I've I've always missed the Air Force and the military because that's what gave me the the sensibility, the the worldly perspective that I have today. And just because of the events recently, you know, I. I really pulled from that experience and I was asking myself, you know, yeah, I, I got this great job in the software world. I, I'm at home. I'm, I'm privileged to, to be working from home. But look at what's happening out there. You know, look at the, the senseless violence, the increased racism, especially against the Asian American community these days. And it got me thinking, you know, what am I, what am I really here to do? Is it to just enjoy the privilege of working from home and, and having a, a cushy sort of job? Or is mm -hmm. it really meant for me to, to live my life kind of breathing life into society and, and helping culture and helping our people? And when I say people, I mean all kinds of people, not just Asian Americans, not just the Vietnamese community, but people, human beings, you know, and, is it really my job to to really stand up and, and speak on behalf of others? And I asked myself that for, for quite a while, and it took me a long time to get to the point where, you know, the answer to that is yes. Like, I, I do believe that for whatever reason, you know, it's 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 my role, it's it's my calling to continue to serve, and, and that's what I'm doing, trying to be an advocate to the community, trying to extend my my writing and trying to share with folks and, you know, today trying to, to speak out and trying to, to lend that, that voice that sometimes is, is oppressed. Right. Well, and thank you, um, Locke for, first of all, for serving our country. I think you might've told me this, uh, I apologize if I forgot, but I didn't realize this, that it was, you know, the, what happened in nine 11 that, shaped your desire to just stand up and serve. And as I'm, as I was listening to you right now, share what you did, where you said, you know, was it me? Is it, was, is this my time? Or, you know, should it be me to stand up uh, and speak up? And I was thinking, what went through mind, I'm like, wait a minute, but here you are back, you know, a 9-11, you stood up. There were many of us that could have, Many of us also did, some of us didn't, but you, again, stood up back then and here you are standing up again um, in, in, in addressing this. And I heard this, I've stole this from someone, I do not take any credit, but that what I heard is that one person with courage is a majority. And thank you, my friend, for having the courage to stand up. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, I mean, it was a calling, Oscar. I um... <laughs> I was at Cisco. I started my career off working for Cisco headquarters in San Jose, you know, could have been the ride of my life, but I couldn't do it. I just, I couldn't sit there and, and see that and not respond and not do something that, that I felt deep in my heart I had to do. And, and so that, that really started the journey. And yeah, it was a yeah. hard journey, but it was, it was easy because it came from the heart. Sure. Absolutely. So, like, when, when you, with what the, the, the violence is racism, 
sadly enough, it is something that it's being repeated again against uh, the Asian uh, our Asian American community. For you personally, when you look back at your you coming to this country and and your upbringing, um, what are some are, you, are there some moments that you are open to sharing about maybe times when either you experience either overt or you know subtle racism or you know times when you were made to feel like you didn't belong here you didn't belong in this country you know a part of me has always sort of kind of pushed that deep inside to a place where i don't really think about it much you know but growing up i was told at school not to speak vietnamese when i was really really young like that like that wasn't okay like you you could not speak vietnamese at school to your vietnamese friends mm -hmm. because it just wasn't the right thing to do so and if from an early age you know I, I started to to have these people telling me these things directly to my face and and having to sort of make peace with it right because that that's how things were at that point in time and what's more moving for me is is the racism that i saw my parents have to go through right the the mm. times when they're at the grocery store and they're trying to explain someone something to someone and they get this this smirk right like this dismissal like you what, what are you even trying to tell me like i don't understand you why don't you just go away type of smirk it happened yes. over and over and over and i think that's what that's what built this this passion in me is that not necessarily my you know the the, the racism that was pushed upon me because you know i can deal with it just fine and i will deal with it but it's hard for me to you know, for one to see that happening to my parents. And so when I see yes. other folks out there that it's happening to, I get that same exact feeling, that feeling that you got to stand up and defend that person because there's no way that person should be treated like that, you know, especially the thing, after the things that they've gone through in order to even get here in the first place. Sure, sure. I can, yeah, I can relate to you, my friend, because I was the minute I learned how to speak English, which, which was granted in kindergarten, okay, second half of kindergarten, okay, the minute I learned how to say duck, duck, goose in English, you know, I became my parents translator, okay? And and same thing, I mean, right? I, sometimes it was at the bank or, you know, or oftentimes, believe it or not, where I, now it's an adult reflecting back, because when you're a kid, you don't really notice these things. Right. But now as an adult reflecting back, oftentimes it was, an employment situation, it's at their job, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that, that that I saw that. But, you know, look, I'm just listening to you. It just, again, I'm just in tune to your, 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 your tone as you're explaining some of this childhood, you know, stories of your parents and your own story. How were you able to just hold back some of that? I gotta imagine you felt some anger you know, how were you able to just hold back some of these negative feelings and not just explode? You know, like that takes a lot of like just a lot of resistance, a lot of, I guess, discipline um, and maturity. 
Yeah, it's funny you ask that because I, I just published an essay this weekend on Medium uh, about the silence that you see from Asian Americans, you know, and I, in, in, in sort of thinking about that process, what I realized that was that it was actually taught to me, I think, from my dad. You know, he he taught me to be inconspicuous, to, to hide out, to keep quiet, because that's how he survived life in the United States. Mm. That's how he made it through the first couple of decades when we were strapped, you know, for cash. We were dirt poor when we were using food stamps just to, to get by. That's how he did it to avoid the racism that, that was around him in society. He just kept quiet, right? Because they're not yeah. going to mess with you if they don't see you. So try to be as, as inconspicuous as you can. And so, yeah. he, you know, growing up, that was, that was what was told to me. Hey, study hard. Keep your head down. Work hard. Just shut up. Don't say that. Don't say anything. Don't make anyone irritated. Don't don't instigate anything, and they'll leave you alone. And then you can go and you can build your life, you know, outside of that environment. And sure. so it wasn't so much that I had to actively oppress those feelings. It was sort of ingrained in me, unfortunately, for better or for worse. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right about that. Um, yeah, this, this, I, 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 I also sometimes talk about how things that I've learned from my parents that we didn't necessarily actively sit around the the dinner table. Shoot, what dinner table? Okay, I mean, my dad was at the right period of time. He was working two jobs. Okay, got out of work at three o'clock from one job. Four o'clock, he went to Denny's to go wash more pots and pans and it didn't get off work until 11 o'clock at night. I mean, there was no sitting around the dinner table and like, you know, let's have a conversation here. Uh, but it was a lot through to like what you're pointing out to is that observation, right? Mm -hmm. And yes, at times there were some things, I'm sure like, you know, comments about like your dad, like do this, do that, et cetera. But a lot of it was just observing. It was almost kind of like survival skills. Yeah. Totally, totally survival skills. And and what about what about Lunkin in, in in terms of like do you have other siblings or you know like what what was it like you know just you know the experience and I don't know like are you like the oldest in your family because sometimes I've also noticed and and personally experienced where you know those of us that are the oldest one in the family sort of kind of you know there's there's this almost kind of a an acculturation process that happens right depending on where you are in the totem pole here as, as far as siblings yeah so I, i'm the older of of two brothers me and my my brother is nine years younger than me so he experienced a different life in general than i did um he grew up i would say after the the the, the hardship was sort of um bypassed in many ways. Um, so he, you know, he even told me this morning, he said, hey, I, I read what you wrote about dad and about Asians and about us being quiet. And he's like, 
it was new to him in many ways, you know, that, that, that thought, those thoughts, that experience, you know, the, he lived a different life, a better life, I would say. Um, and fortunately he did so, but it, it's really interesting. And, and it gets me thinking about the fact that there is no narrative, right? We, we have our individual stories, you and I, and Angelica, yes. we all do, but we can't expect for other folks to feel exactly the same way because no two people live the same life. And so when it comes to conversations like this, it's really, it's really about, Hey, let me just share my experiences and my thoughts with you. And, and it's about you taking, taking that and reciprocating by, by thinking about it on yes. your own right and really yes. processing it on your side. Right. That's it's a two way street. It really is. Yes. Yeah, yeah, def definitely. We have a question here. Actually, uh, the question is, was your dad's views to be compliant uh, have to do with his environment in communist uh, Vietnam? Have you thought about that, Laka, whether, you know, the way you, uh, your dad's views were and, and his, his personality, was it shaped, do you think, because of um, having uh, uh, lived and raised in communist uh, Vietnam? By the way, this oh. question's from um, Philip. <laughs> oh. Just oh. so you know. <laughs> You're like, how does this person know? <laughs> it's from Philip. <laughs> yeah, you know, big part of me wants to say no. And the, the reason being, he was not an acceptance of communism, right? That's the reason why he left in the first place is, is that defiance. Um, Matter of fact, you know, we were all boat people, my, my entire family, minus my brother who was born here. So we risked our lives, they risked their lives and their futures to find something better, something new. So if anything, it's it would be, you know, I'm going to come here to the States and I'm going to act exactly the opposite of how I should have acted in Vietnam because America is the land of the free, right? It's anti-communism. Mm -hmm. It's it's democracy. It's it's you know be what you can be, do what you can do. It's all up to you. So I would say that if anything, he was oppressed, ironically enough, by the society here in America rather than the society that he left in Vietnam. Very interesting. Okay, okay, yeah, I got you. Um, Locke, for for those people that might not be familiar with the violence that we're talking about and you know uh can you can you give people an example of some of the things that have been happening here uh of late yeah so um you know essentially it it started when we as a world found out that the coronavirus originated in china right mm -hmm. and yes it I'm pretty sure it did originate in China. Not didn't read any reports or any studies on that. But then our former president was telling the world that yes, it originated in China, and he started making fun of it, calling it names and 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 bringing the Asian culture into this, the Asian American culture into this 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 whole pandemic, this whole you know. The, the terribleness that was happening across the world. He was somehow tying us Asians here in America to the pandemic. 
And mm -hmm. that took hold because of the influence that a president of the United States has. And it took hold and, and people began to believe in the rhetoric and they, they began to take it to heart. And, and as people were suffering, as people were dying and losing their jobs, they needed something to blame. They needed a person or a group of people to blame. And unfortunately, they were given the opportunity to easily blame the Asian American population. And they took mm -hmm. it a step further because recently they've been violent about it on the streets. Elderly people walking on the streets are attacked for absolutely no reason, pushed. A man was pushed in Oakland to his death because he was walking the street because he was Asian. Oh and it's happening. It's Yeah, it's happening over and over again. People are getting mugged. People are getting screamed at, yelled at. Um, and the, the violence is, I mean, any any violence is unnecessary, unwarranted, but it, it's so pointed. I, 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 in my heart, can point directly back to the source of that violence, the source of that man dying. I can point directly mm -hmm. to the source of that. And it doesn't sit well with me whatsoever. And it shouldn't yeah. sit well with, with anybody, with any human being. Um, and... It, it's a long road ahead, but that narrative needs to change. You know, it, it, it cannot be a part of history. It cannot be cemented in history. The entire narrative has to change and it has to become a different story because I don't see how us as, a, as an Asian American population can go on with that as part of our history, this, that, that, those false accusations, the, the, the false narrative, it's just, it, it can't be. And, um, yes, yes. You know. no, I agree with you 100%. What are some things like that we can do to change this? And, and when I say we, I'm talking about those of us that are not Asian, because there might be some people out there who say, well, you know, what can I do? I'm, you know, I don't experience this or, you know, some of it could be, you know, what we've heard white privilege, you know, what, what can um, us non-Asians do to help address this, uh, this violence and this racism? So I'm going to, I have a different perspective on this than what you might've heard or what you might okay. understand to be. Um, it's, it's my belief that it has to start with the Asian American community itself. With before, before we can expect anybody else, any ethnicities, any communities to participate in the restoration of, of our reputation and the changing of the narrative, I believe that we as Asian Americans need to give a damn. And I don't think that's happening. Mm, what do you mean by this? I, I don't. I don't think that many of my friends even care to think about this. I don't think that the majority of my family has even processed this. Mm. And it's a problem. It's a problem that is, is deeply rooted in, in Asian American culture, I believe. And I know that to hear this coming from an Asian American is like heresy. 
that I shouldn't be saying this about my own people, but it's true. I, I believe it to be true. And mm -hmm. I believe that as, as a respectable Asian American, that you should be internalizing this, that you should understand what is happening, that you should do something. I'm not asking anyone to be an, an overnight activist. I'm not asking anyone to attend a protest in the middle of COVID for that matter. I'm asking for people to stand up, to be heard, to be seen, and to have the, the willingness to, to do something, to share something on social media, to make a statement on LinkedIn, to speak to a friend or a family member about this. Because listen, if, if, if we as a, a community don't care enough to stand up for ourselves and why would we expect that the Latino community would stand alongside us? Why do we expect for white people, the, the black community to, to care, to really do anything on our behalf? Why do we even expect for media to cover us when we ourselves don't even care to tell other people about the things that are going on, to educate people and, and to express the fact that there is pain, there is fear and that we need help. And so that needs to happen first and foremost. And I, I want that to happen soon. I want that to happen in mass and I'm going to do whatever I can to make that happen. And then that's, that's when we do more things like we're doing with you today, right? Reaching out to people from the Latino community, leaders like yourself, and then making those connections so that we have this bond, so that we have this shared understanding. But it can't happen just like it can't happen in life. If you if you don't take care of the things you need to take care of as a person and, and come to a place where you're comfortable within your own skin, then no one else is going to be able to help you, right? And it's the same dynamic mm -hmm. when it comes to our communities right now. Yeah. yeah. But he... You, you just told me why you had the courage to fight for our country on 9-11. And you just told me again why you have the courage to stand up here. Because the truth is, I was not expecting this answer from you that you said. And it takes, it definitely takes a lot of courage, you know, to, to point back at our own, in Spanish, we say our own gente, our own people, um, you know, and, and it's true. And at the same time, I also uh, understand too as well that some there might be some people out there that be like, see, they need to take care of themselves. Like, listen, knock it off, okay, here? Because what we're talking about here is we're letting, basically you just let, let us in lock into the intimacy of the Asian culture. You know, the, 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 that, that's, that, that connection that, that, that sometimes only our own culture has and understand. It's like you basically, it's like letting someone into your own home. There's a certain intimacy and privacy that you and your family, your wife, your kids, family experience, and you just basically open the door and let us in. And I think for anyone that just heard Locke's message here, I think you need to treat what he said with care and dignity and respect. So thank you, Locke, for, for sharing that. Um, Locke, we talked about, you know, and, and the, you know, I, I, Angelica is, um, helps me out with many things here, particularly at LinkedIn Live, but um, 
I shared with you, and many people might not know this, but um, my kids are actually uh, of mixed uh, ethnicity. They are Mexican, Filipino, and Chinese. And so, you know, I told you that I was going to ask Angelica to kind of stick around. Sometimes she does the Vanna White and kind of goes behind the scenes, you know, type of thing. But um, I don't know, Angelica, any, any thoughts uh, as you're listening here, you know, to launch their story and, and um, you know, I know like in college too, your own experiences there and, and so forth, but just, you know, I'm just kind of curious, anything you want to share with, with people about the, um, just the, the mixed ethnicity that, that you and, and David have. No, thank you. I, f first off, thank you so much, Locke, for your honesty and your just your point of view is just very refreshing. Um, another thing that a lot of people don't know is actually in college, my main area of emphasis and study is systemic racism. Uh, specifically, I focus on systemic racism within the Latino community in higher education. But I mean, once you get into racism, you know, all the other doors of racism open because, you know, it's, and one of the things that I really want to kind of get to the point, because a lot of people are like, okay, every day there's racism, every day, you know, everyone experiences it, it's not a, like a new fad or anything, but one of the things that I love to really emphasize with the importance of this, maybe you can also expand on it, is that these occurrences, these crimes against Asian Americans are happening in California. And a lot of times I know even people who are consider themselves more liberal and more open-minded and are against racism still do not understand the implication. We are, it's too far into the 21st century to be saying, hey, oh my goodness, like an Asian man was attacked on the streets. Like we're, we're beyond like, oops, sorry. Like that's just, you know, your everyday racism. Like it's time to get past it. We're past the history books. This is tiring. This is, I mean, we've crimes against Asian Americans have happened over and over and over. So this is not a first in, incident of it. And so I guess my question for you is how do you, how have you gone about the self healing process and kind of get past your anger? Cause I think there's, there's a real, I think we're getting to this point where the anger is present and where do we go from there? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I've thought a lot about that myself. Um, I refuse to give in to anger because I kind of get emotional here. Um, my daughters have to live, <clears throat> sorry, um, in this community, right? So if I don't fix it now, That's the world they're gonna live in. And you can't fix this by being angry. You just, you can't. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. Um, All right, my friend. So the, the thing is, um, you, you bring up a good point because I think I, I might have a differing perspective as, as it comes to understanding racism and history as well. And don't get me wrong because you, you did major in it in college, but one of my, one of the, the tenets of, of my message is that you don't have to understand Asian American history. You don't have to know what happened in the 1800s 
when the Chinese were here. You don't happen, you don't have to know what happened in the 1900s when there were anti-immigration laws. It doesn't matter. And you know why it doesn't matter? Because that history is behind us and what's happening now is is right in front of us. That That's what we're dealing with, right? So the fact that you might not know what the model minority myth is should not stop you from caring about what's happening today, right? It doesn't, I, I feel as if there's this barrier because there's, there's, there's so many gates that you have to pass in order to have a conversation with someone without feeling stupid, right? Without mm -hmm. someone throwing something in your face and saying, well, that's not what happened in 1965, but what, is, what does that debate matter anymore? Because what, what's on the table now is there's, there's racism against minorities across the board. People are getting killed for being who they are for the color, because of the color of their skin. And, and we, we need, as a people, we need to fix that now it doesn't matter what what happened before this because we're in this now and whatever happened before this will not change what happens now and and i i have a hard time articulating that to folks and and even to to the, the folks that are closest to me because for whatever reason people want to use the past to rationalize the, the present and that that's all well and good and you can but again, it doesn't change the present. What changes the present is what we do today, what we're going to do tomorrow when Tuesday comes around. That's that's what's going to change things. And, and so I, I I hope that we as a, a community can open up the conversation to the point where anyone and, and everyone can contribute, no matter who you are, no matter what you know, no matter what communities you come from you should be able to have this because it's a human conversation right it's a yes it's purely a human conversation wow. that needs to be had and back to your point oscar about letting people into my home and into my heart well how how else would you have this human conversation with anybody if you're unwilling to share that part of yourself because there's yes. reciprocity in that i share with you you share with me Yes, my God, yes. that this last week, I've had strangers share stories with me based off of the, the stories that I'm sharing with with these these folks out there in the world. And it might seem like it's ineffective. It might seem like it's not moving the needle. But to me, it's the only way to move the needle. How, there is no magic wand. There is no silver bullet. The only way for us to become better as a people is to connect as human beings and to have these conversations on that basic level, understand mm -hmm. each other, break bread. You know, you were in my backyard not so long ago before COVID, yes. having dinner with my family. And yes. that's what we have to do as people, I think. No, no congressional bills are going to fix this. President Biden signing an executive order is not going to fix this. Yes, they all have implications and impacts, but what's going to fix this is if we can just all be people. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That human to human uh, connection there, it's so vital. And, um, you know, as I was listening to you also uh, talk about how you said we don't need to know, you know, some of the past or this history or that. 
I, my brain just works in analogies, okay? And uh, what I'm, what came to my mind was like, when we get in a car accident, when we, in that moment of that impact and we get out of the car, I don't give a damn who manufactured that damn car. I don't give a damn that Ford was the inventor of the automobile. I don't give a damn about Elon Musk. It is in that moment, what can we do to fix the situation? Is there anyone injured? Do we need to get him out, you know, pull him out to safety, anything like that? And that's kind of like, what I'm thinking here, and, and you're right, like, yes, I mean, it's a great to know more about history. I love history, okay? Sure. But but many of us can do something right now. And, and just like you said, just the common decency, sense, and, and just the dignity that we all deserve that respect, right? Regardless of, like you said, the color of our skin or our ethnicity, um, definitely. But, um, Locke, what what about um, what about uh, like you know you you I remember reading it actually I think it's on your LinkedIn profile an article that, uh, story that you shared where you I think you were still in the military in the Air Force and were you traveling across the country yeah something like that and then do you mind sharing that story of what happened and how you reacted to that and. Because I think that was again, it's, it speaks to you as a person. It's just a very powerful message, too. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. That happens to be the the essay that most folks have read, um, you know, from me. It was in Albuquerque. Um, I was out for a jog. It was sunny day, and these two guys in a truck came by and started yelling at me, actually telling me to to go the fuck back home, right? <laughs> But what, what's ironic about all that and, and the, the, the gist of this story is that I had just left home. I was on my way to officer school in Alabama. I left home to defend the country. I left everything behind. Everything that I had was in the back of my truck. And all I was doing was driving across the states to get to Montgomery, Alabama, so that I can be a part of the Air Force, so that I can defend this country. And these guys were telling me that I needed to go home, right? How ironic was that in that moment, right? And and I would go even further than that to say that I I left home. I left home when I was a kid. I came to America. America is my home. So there, there is no going back, man. I, I'm already here. This is my home. I will forever defend this place, this soil as my home. And so... Yeah. It, yeah, it was really so, so ironic that that they did that. And, and you know what? Like, back to Angelica's point, like, I didn't, I wasn't angry. What I did was, I was even more motivated to to finish that drive to get to Montgomery to finish off officer school and then to serve, and then to prove that, you know, the what I'm doing is is what. You, a person should be doing what I'm doing is is the right thing, and no one's ever going to take that away from me. And, and that wasn't the only time during my Air Force career that I was uh, subjected to that type of behavior. It happened in other places as well. You know, I lived in the South, so you know, you you, you kind of wander around enough, you're going to run into those situations. Yeah. But you know, have having the having the understanding that what I was doing was so so much more than they could ever even comprehend you know that that's that's what i took with me and that's what i've always kept with me 
Yeah. The, this is a great story. Uh, like I remember reading it and the irony, like you said, that you left your home, Vietnam, made this country your home. You're traveling across the country to Alabama to defend this country, i.e. our home and the homes of these two guys that are telling you to go home. Like, yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. But buddy, I come back to what I, I've told you many times, like, and I've said this here today, that I admire that willpower, that strength to hold back because, I don't know, I think I would, probably would have gone punch them in the face. I don't know, I, 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 I probably wouldn't even be alive because you know, they probably would have taken me out. I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, thank you, thank you. Look, what, what, um, what, if there's one thing you want people to walk away from our conversation today, what is that, that call to action or that message that you want to drive home to anyone, anyone? This, this issue is not about minorities against white people, Oscar. It, it really isn't. Um, it's a false narrative to think that just because someone is white, that they don't have cultural histories. A Jewish person could walk the street as a white person and you could never know that their family has gone through the Holocaust, that they've lost mm -hmm. loved ones through centuries of essentially racism and discrimination, right? An Armenian person whose family immigrated here in the 1960s because of war, yeah, they, they could pass without ever being discriminated here in society because they essentially are considered as, as a white person, but it doesn't mean that they don't have that past, they don't have that history, that they don't have the, the anger that that comes from being discriminated against or being, or having their family annihilated because of the way they live their lives, because of the culture that they were part of, because of the religions that they believed in, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I want people to understand that our goal, our collective goal is not to stand up against white people. I, I wanna, in many ways, rewrite that narrative so that we have a, a big picture, a big, a big, more infinite goal to work towards a more meaningful goal. Mm -hmm. Because if we, if we, if we, if we see the world from the standpoint of us versus them, then there will never be winners, right? Somebody's yes, going to yes. lose out and the world is, is essentially never going to be the place that we want it to be. But if we see it, if we see the world as a place where cultures can be appreciated, where people can become better versions of themselves through interacting with other people, through sitting down and having conversations and just respecting another person for who they are and wanting to know about them, mm -hmm. that's the goal. If that's what we're working towards, if that's what these these sessions are for, if that's what the essays that I write are for, if that's what people are dying for, then that's how we as a collective group ensure a better future for 
our families. And I, I again, I, I have a feeling that the things that I say are not necessarily against mainstream, but I have a feeling that it's hard for people to restructure the paradigms with which they're thinking about things to, to make sense out of all this. Yeah. But I think it's important and, and I'm going to keep on talking about it. I'm going to keep on writing about it until it happens. Yeah. Well, Locke, thank you for uh, talking about it, acting on it and for um, sharing your story, sharing your heart and letting us into that sacred space, you know, within your culture, you know, as I refer to it as, you know, your home as well, in terms of your thoughts, I really, really appreciate that. I think many people do as well. And, um, you know, and again, thank you for <clears throat> reaching out to me and, you know, asking, you know, if there's anything we can do, um, you know, I, I really, really uh, uh, respect and, and admire that, that trust that you have uh, in me. So thank you a lot, a lot for, for sharing this. Um, uh, this this evening uh, with all of us today. So we're going to wrap it up. Uh, everyone, thank you so much for joining us today on Career Talk. Uh, definitely a very important, very intimate, very special um, uh, LinkedIn Live Career Talk with OG session today. And um, have a great rest of your week, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Career Talk with OG. Be sure to rate us and let us know what content you want to see on our next podcast. For more information, visit our website at www.aspidaconsulting.com.